was chewing a muffin. It's gone now. Mm, muffin. Jordan, you'd probably miss this, but I currently have a sausage bean cheese melt pasty and mm. a festive bake next to me. Guys, guys, guys. I just I just saw my fishing just retrieve an, uh, an enchanted book. <sighs> hey, guys. I, I heard a rumor that both of you have cancelled RuneScape. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the, we've been on a real RuneScape adventure on this show. Um, it was mentioned. It was <laughs> you mentioned could call first it a quest. time. <laughs> you could call it a quest. Um, it was mentioned uh, a few episodes ago, and um, then you guys went off and started playing it, and now we mm. come full circle. Could you could you explain to me what's happened here? So, uh, from my point of view, I'm just going to get right into the, the point. I got my first. Uh, I started a new account because it got banned. If you remember. Yeah, and then I got to ninety nine on an attack, and then once I got to ninety nine and bought the cape, I was like, right now what? So I cancelled it because <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. all that again for another one. All right, so you so like you, you achieved the 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 bar of what it was you were after in the first place, just for one thing. Yeah, out of like the twenty eight different levels that we've got. I achieved one. Oh, it's like thirty-five now. It's crazy. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And I'm like, I'm not doing that thirty-five more times. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually quite impressed with that. I mean, you started a brand new account when we had that, uh, which was episode seven of the Movies Podcast. And I mean, you started a new account, and then it wasn't that long for you to get that ninety-nine, which is quite impressive. I mean, I yeah, got I, a, I got a ninety-nine as well, but we'll get to that. Four four days of playing time, maybe. Yeah, not too bad. Which isn't too bad. No. But it did. It was over the span of about three or four weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were sat in the airport, for example, and you were playing it. <laughs> yeah, I <So>. mean, <laughs> yeah, I was like on the air, in the airport on the way back, just like, I gotta get this 99 before I go back. <laughs> I gotta do it. Did you say it was four days worth of playing time? Yeah. Mm. Like, actually, like, however many, like, you know, hours that is. My brain can't do maths right now. So um, I, I recently did, I did, I looked on my Xbox account and uh, for the Windows, because uh, it's kind of split into different versions still, even though they're all compatible, but the, for the Windows 10 version of Minecraft, uh, I'm on 25 days worth of gameplay, which is, which is not bad. <laughs> yeah. Every game seems to have that kind of days played, like World of Warcraft had it, which yeah. was, it's actually really interesting. Um, because, Pokemon had it. Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah, it does. It still does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's by hours, isn't it? I can't mm. remember what I used to have, but uh, I, there's a lot of hours sunk into that. But actually, if you think about it, and I, I, I kind of was thinking to myself just now, oh, I, pay, I played, you know, basically two months in total of RuneScape across, like, in terms of membership, and it's like, what, six ninety nine a month or something, Andrew? Yeah, I think seven or eight quid. I'm, I'm like, yes, I've only spent like £13 to get to 99 you know, in terms of before I cancel my membership. But I've actually just remembered I bought a ton of gold. So yeah. actually it's more like 70 quid. <laughs> just in, <laughs> like in the space of two months, which I think is ridiculous, which is another reason why I think it's probably good to cancel. But I don't know. Andrew? Okay, here we go. Time played. 81 days and 16 hours is my account. But that's that's your existing account as well. It was, yeah. It? Yeah. So, uh, in episode seven, I managed to get into my account. Um, I've been using the states as like a timestamp, like relative time to the states. And I think I cancelled my membership 
uh, a week or two before we went to the States because I got a 99 in strength and I was like, yeah, I'm done with this now. I mean, I've got other levels that I could have got very close with. I did try, like I, I tried to set myself kind of tasks to get to the levels, but I was just really bored of it after after getting that 99 really. Mm. Um, I think when you realize that you get to 96, level 96, and you realize that's halfway to 99. 92, sorry. No, sorry, 92? Yeah, 92, yeah. is it? And it's halfway to 99, you think, oh God, I can't do this. Yeah. It's like uh, getting to 92 is is difficult enough. And then you're like, I've got all of that to go again. And it's like, crap. And that's in terms of XP. So yeah. it's the same amount of XP from 92 to 99 than it is to zero. Well, one to nine, 92. So yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. <laughs> I also did find that. So when I played RuneScape originally, we didn't have the uh, in-game kind of uh, microtransactions and stuff like that. And I found myself... So every day you logged in, you got like two of these treasure hunter keys, basically, and they would give you something like XP or an item. I find myself sometimes just logging in just to do that for the just to do that for the day, and then it kind of killed it after a while because I was just logging in and I was kind of, I was leveling up some of the smaller levels just for the sake of it, just because I could. And it was like I'm not actually doing anything here. There's no game here that I'm doing anymore. So uh, I thought, screw it, I'm going to cancel my account i actually the way i did it was i realized i wasn't playing it and then i said okay i put a task in my uh to-do list for seven mm-hmm. days and i said if i haven't played it within that seven days i'll cancel it and i didn't play it so i canceled it that's fair that's a good way of doing it yeah i think we should yeah. probably stop talking about runescape now <laughs> yeah it's i think it's eaten up way too much of our time over the last I, I just weeks. I think it's been interesting to see that kind of um you know it, it come Cycle. in and then go out yeah. um I think I think to be honest like do you remember when we first talked about it and I said World of Warcraft and I was like going World of Warcraft World of Warcraft I actually cancelled my RuneScape account thinking to myself I would rather be playing World of Warcraft <laughs> so maybe because, that's that's the next little adventure the next oh God, quest n- no that's I'm not down, I'm not spending hours downloading a 40 gigabyte game that won't run on my computer properly Talking of the next quest, uh, Animal Crossing, was it Pocket Camp, I think, was released on iOS and maybe Android, I don't actually know, um, the other day. And oh my god, that thing looks so beautiful on my phone. It's, it's so nice. And I used to play Animal Crossing on on the Nintendo DS when I was younger. Mm, me too. Yeah. And it was a good fun game. My brother, my little brother used to play it. I yeah. um, I used to play, what was it, uh, Nintendogs? Oh yeah! <laughs> wow, I'm surprised they haven't because because that's the kind of thing that they would probably be able to do for iOS as well. Yeah, I, I'm, mm. I'm sure they're probably working on it. Nintendo are very good at redoing the same mm. franchises. Yeah, but hey, that's 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 working for them. It's not really a problem, especially now that people are um, singing their praises again because the Switch, the, the Wii U, was a bit of a failure, and with the Switch, I think people are really happy with the way that things are going and. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, branching out to iOS, it makes sense. I really don't understand what is the Nintendo Switch and why. Because I, I think I've just siloed myself away from the games console world to the point where I don't think it exists anymore, <laughs> which obviously is not true. But I remember when the Nintendo Wii came out and it was a huge deal, 
Yeah, yeah which was also a huge failure at the same time. What the Wii? Yeah, the Wii was the Wii was really no, successful. Yeah, it was. Oh, I'm thinking um, of the it was Wii in... U. You're thinking of the no, Wii U. I'm thinking about the, the Wii, Wii U actual... wasn't enough really to continue. It took away some of the uh, GameCube compatibility and added in like a tablet uh, controller, which yeah, which was a very weird. low quality tablet. So the interesting thing about the Switch is it is a tablet, right? It is a tablet that is powerful enough to run. Uh, these games on a TV as well. So you dock it into a docking station and plug it into a TV, and then you can play equivalent of, you know, the, the Wii U style games uh, on the television and mm. then, and then play them on the, on the, on the tablet. Do you still and, have GameCube compatibility? No, 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 no. The, I mean, the Wii, U, the Wii was essentially a GameCube, right? Nintendo never cared for the power. Um, it, it was essentially the same chip as the uh, as the GameCube just improved uh, mm. over time, but the the Switch I'm not actually sure what the architecture is, no. um, but essentially in terms of what it is physically, it's like a tablet that has the ability to clip things on the side like controllers, and then those controllers are very similar to the kind of Wii uh, motion sensing controllers, but without having to have all the sensors, mm. and so you can ha- play the same games essentially uh, on the touchscreen with the controls. You can play it with the controller style controls with while it's attached to the side, or you can play it with a normal controller while it's in the television. It's a, it's a yeah. nice, good combination device. It's, it's a, it's a nice bit of kit. And I have seen a lot of people, um, say really good things about it. There's, there's a Zelda on it. There's yeah, uh, that, other that new Zelda games. The new, the new Mario game is supposed to be really, really good. Like it's the best Mario game that they've had for a while. Um, it's Nintendo doing a good Nintendo thing. And, I think by making it a handheld game like that, it's more likely that people would be willing to buy it. I know I would much rather, if I was ever going to buy a Nintendo console again, which by the way, I'm not sure. I I, I know I don't want to play Pokemon again, but that's another thing. Um, I would be way more likely to buy a handheld Nintendo, even if it is a powerful handheld Nintendo, than I would to buy something to plug into my television because I'm not really interested in plugging anything into my TV. And that's just my my view. Yeah. I think it, that's that's probably why the Switch is seen as being more successful than the other stuff that they've had in a while. It does have its own issues, but yeah, that's essentially what the Switch is. Coming coming back to the original point of why I mentioned Animal Crossing is uh, I did download it on when it came out on launch day, and I think I was going to bed one night and I was like, let me just go into it, and I, I went onto it, and that app, that that new game, the UI, and especially on my my new phone is is so beautiful. They've done a really nice job of that, and it's so vibrant. I love it. And then I haven't actually had a chance to play it since because I've been busy, uh, very busy, uh, and I'm not sure when I will get time to play it, but it's I'm, I'm keeping it there in case I ever do get time to play it because it, it does look really nice. But, mm, and it brings back the nostalgia. Yeah, but that the is, that's the before. only game on my horizon right now which I'm considering playing if I get mm-hmm. time. You've been still playing Minecraft? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, I've still been really, uh, really enjoying playing Minecraft. And um, obviously, the, you know, I, I mentioned before, I've got a world which I play with my wife. And uh, that particular world is something that we've built up uh, since, I think it was June this year. Um, and just recently, we kind of, we, we had a go at defeating the Ender Dragon and died, but I ended up like, Re, redoing it we beat the ender dragon which gave us access to the end dimension and from there we got um you know access to more stuff 
And one of them is the wings. And I showed you guys a video. Basically, mm. it lets you fly around the world, which, uh, which makes it, cause it's an infinite world, right? It's huge. But get, having the ability to uh, fly around makes it so much easier to get to these really distant places. So it's kind of like opened up another level of the game. Mm. Uh, and the other thing I got access to were things called shulker boxes, which, um, they don't sound real, even though they're not. I know they're in Minecraft, but they sound weirdly <laughs> unreal, yeah. even in Minecraft. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so normally you have a, so say, for example, you want to store an item, right? You store an item in a chair and you know, I love organization. So this is like, this is like lovely to me. Um, <laughs> you store items in a chest. Okay. When you put something in a chest, it's inside that chest and that chest is physically located somewhere in a world. So it's got its own coordinates, right? If you want to uh, break that chest, to turn it into an item and take it somewhere else. All the items fall out of it. So then you have to find somewhere to store all these items. Um, with a shulker box, you can place a shulker box down, put some items in it, then then break it and put it in your inventory. And it still contains all those items. So you can store more items inside one of these things. Uh, and I mentioned before that they have this concept of like an ender chest, which is a bit like cloud storage. Anywhere in the game that you have an ender chest, you always access the same items, mm. right? So you can have them in two different, completely areas of the different areas of the world. And in there, you will always see the same items, unlike a chest, which is physically located in a certain place. So shulker boxes plus an ender chest means that you can carry thousands of items uh, around with you by just placing down an ender chest, pulling a shulker box out, placing down that shulker box, taking the items out of it that you need, putting the shulker box back in the ender chest and then putting the ender chest back in your, uh, in your backpack, the equivalent of your backpack, the thing that you carry around with you. It's pretty and cool. That means that I can just, you know, store loads of stuff. And, and that's fun for me. You know, I used to like that with Pokemon where I would go into my, um, computer. Yeah. And, and just re reorganize them and sort them all out. And, I, and now I've got all these items that I need to sort out. And it's kind of like, I feel like it's the next level of Minecraft um, for uh, for me. And that's, um, that's a question. Where where is the motivation for you to play Minecraft? Because obviously we've lost our motivation for RuneScape, but you always seem to be motivated to play it. And there's and always something to do. There's always something to do, and we've got different areas of the world. So, for example, near where their house is, um, we, we you know things are built using stone. It's very much traditional kind of minecraft style stone and wood and we've built bridges that go from places and different areas that kind of link together and pathways and you know nice little nice little areas there and then we've got uh the nether which is like a another dimension that kind of like is parallel to the main world but i mentioned it before is like you can travel eight times the distance um so it's, it's a good way to get other places so we use that to get to different areas like for example a desert to get supplies of sand um so there's 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 that that's interesting as well so you need to make it safe for you to get through the first few times you go in there you die a lot and you know so it's you know making it safe is a nice little mission um and for me the bit that's got um that's kind of the most interesting for me at the moment is that i found an island a while back that was like a really good size and um I, i'm basically going to terraform the entire island uh, and I don't know how I'm going to make it look yet, but it's going to be more, for want of a better word, industrial than the house. So the house is all kind of stone bricks and 
quite traditional and I want it to seem like it's, um, you know, more of a adventure game style world, but that Island is so is far away enough that it can use a completely different palette. So I might make things out of concrete instead, give it a completely different look, but, um, there I'm going to do some, I'm going to build some farms, uh, some, uh, that, that kind of take advantage of the mechanics of the game. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of machines I can build there, uh, using redstone and, you know, it gets, it gets me thinking, it gets me inspired. I, you know, I watch a lot of uh, videos on YouTube and see other people doing stuff and it makes me want to try it out and build it. It's, it's a, it's a real kind of creativity. It's like, you know, how do you get bored of Lego? It's like, you can do anything with it. It's a similar kind of mm. thing to that. Um, but there's no, it's not, there's no kind of like server that I'm logging into because it's all my world. So all of this is just completely, totally up to me and whatever my imagination, mm. and my wife, um, whatever we want to build, you know? Um, and the other thing is that kind of interests me is they are still working on the game very much though. And, uh, last week was Minecon earth, which is basically their, um, event, their main event. Uh, where the kind of gamers all get together and this time they did a more of a worldwide live stream rather than an event usually they do it in like london or somewhere like that um and they announced the next kind of update to the game which completely changes for the the biggest i mean there's lots of stuff in there and if you're interested you can go out and find kind of like a list of new features that are coming but to me the most interesting thing is that um they're changing the mechanics of water to make it easier to build underwater and right now, building a city underwater, building an underwater world is tough because the mechanics of water are very, very strange in Minecraft. It doesn't really behave like water. You get these weird air pockets if you place certain items down and they're re- redoing that. And that means it will break a lot of machinery that takes advantage of those weird water mechanics. And, um, you know, it means, it means a whole fresh new take on some of these machines that people have built in the past. And, um, you know, an opportunity to build stuff underwater that I haven't done yet or, mm. you know, find new things. Um, so there's always something new going on. And I, I really like See, that about the game. Yeah. So RuneScape as well had like a load of stuff coming out when we actually left. There's an entire new kind of, uh, I mean, they had their, was it RuneCon, I think they call it or whatever. And there was a, yeah. an announcement of that. And they, they announced a bunch, announced a bunch of stuff and, I was interested in it because I was playing at the time, but like I still know of it, and I'm not actually interested to see what it's like playing. I've completely lost mm-hmm. my interest. Like I get what you're saying. There's always something to do, but I mean, me personally, there was always something to do on RuneScape as well. Uh, there was always something I could do, and there's always stuff coming out. But I still got bored of it. I guess. Yeah, I think the other thing is that this. I made a decision a while back and I keep meaning to write a blog post about this, um, where I decided to quit Pokemon and I, d- I used to play it quite a bit. And so this, so, you know, Minecraft is my only game. It's the only game that I'm really going to spend time on. Yes. There's some other games that I play like Sonic, but, um, it's like, that's, that's my game now. And I think it's probably yeah. going to be like that for quite a while. The world that, uh, we built me and my wife, that's, we plan on keeping that, going for quite some time you know it's it's not even a year old yet this world and i i know of other people that have these survival worlds that are multiple years and you know it'll get upgraded when the new version comes out and we'll get to discover all this kind of ocean stuff Mm -hmm. 
in the world. So there'll be new things to find um, when that when that update comes out. And I'm hoping that I can continue this world going for quite a while and, you know, build these machines, build these really crazy uh, contraptions uh, and make them work and then probably get an update that breaks the mechanics and have to rebuild them. It'll be interesting to do. Well, you have to keep us updated anyway, because I mean, I don't, I don't think I'll be keeping you updated with RuneScape anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will, I will. I, I mean, I think, um, I think this is, like I say, I, I've, I've really enjoyed this game and the community around it. So I think this is, this is my new, this is my, my little world, my little distraction. I, I've yeah. always liked games, and I think this is like, this is the one for me for a while, and I think it's probably going to continue to be for at least a few years. I, I just got that feeling about it. Um, I find it really enjoyable. I'm looking forward to trying it in VR because, of course, um, they've got a version that works with the Windows Mixed Reality yeah. devices. And it'd be interesting to see my world in, in mm. VR. And there's all these other kind of things that are going to be coming as well. So, yeah. It does it's, sound interesting. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I've still enjoyed it. We spoke in episode 11 about the iPhone 10 and uh, my personal experience with it. Um Right. We, I said that I've never uh, had a problem laying down uh, and unlocking the phone using Face ID. I was wrong because the people that are doing that are laying on their side. And when I think about laying down in my bed, I lay on my back. So uh, I don't have to have a problem. And the problem isn't to do with um, laying down. It's to do with uh, the rotation of the device. So uh, Face ID currently doesn't seem to work when the device is rotated more than, I don't know, oh, 90 that's interesting. Does, it, like that. does it work if it's upside down? No. It's really so weird. I, this, is, this is interesting, actually, because I was using my um, my Surface Book uh, the other day. Um, upside down. Upside down. <laughs> and um, it, the Windows Hello worked absolutely fine. But because the sensor was like at the bottom... Mm of the screen rather than being at the top, I did have to kind of move it a little bit to kind of point it more at my face because it was at a different angle. And I just, I was just like, oh, so it's been a while yeah. since I've had to do that, but because it was because it was upside down. Right. So does Face ID not work well, this at is, those angles? Uh, this is what I don't get. I mean, no. I wonder if, is someone, are they holding, are they holding the device so that it's like, it's pointing upwards to the sky, but their head is 90 degrees? Or are they holding it so that the screen is correctly oriented to their eyes? Oh. <laughs> well, I guess, what I, I, yeah, I don't know. But if, apparently if you lay down, the device is rotated, it doesn't work. So, mm. I, I, but I also, people are talking about this as in terms of like, oh, there needs to be a new hardware fix for this. And all I can think is, no, like if this Surely is a problem, software. just software. And you know Surely. what? Take all your data and rotate it. <laughs> Yeah. If that is, uh, you know, even just as a proof of concept, like, anyway, so that, yeah, that, that is a problem, but I tend to lay my back, so I'm all good. And, uh, mm. which is also quite amazing. Uh, face ID does work with things like, um, glasses on. So when I'm like, uh, in a cinema, for example, and I'm in the dark with 3D glasses on and it still works, that was quite, you funny. shouldn't be using your phone, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Again, uh, something to do, something uh, that crosses over with kind of the iPhone 10 follow-up and Animal Crossing is the screen is still gorgeous and Overcast 4.01 uh, introduced a black mode, which is a mm-hmm. completely black UI apart from obviously uh, 
some accents and some buttons and things like that. And it's gorgeous. Do you like the way that looks? Yeah, I, I do quite like it. And they also, oh, something that's amazing is um, Tweetbot has this light switch mode where basically you drag down, I think, with either a finger or two in the middle. Uh, it's kind of a different action to scrolling. Mm. And it changes between the light or dark theme. And Overcast also implemented that, which is which is really nice. So I've been so I've actually got Overcast open right now on my phone, and uh, it's all black with some some blue kind mm. of tint, and it looks really cool. I really I really like that kind of dark mode. Um, I I used it a lot with uh, <coughs> Windows Windows Phone. It was kind of designed when Windows Phone Seven came out. The, the original kind of Metro interface. It was designed for OLED screens, so the the kind of background was all black, and then you had these kind of uh, the text and and the graphics would kind of float on top of that. Mm. I love that look. I absolutely love that look. And I used to kind of imagine what it would be like if laptops had this look. And I use dark mode on Windows on one of my um, surfaces uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I do tend to mix it up. I, I I wouldn't say that I always have one or always have the other, but I have been using a lot of dark mode at the moment. Um, and I I really like that. But I, it would be even better on an OLED screen and. You know, yeah. having that that black with the the text and stuff on the, on top, it really pops. It's really nice. Yeah, it's just like you really cannot see the notch when that when it's black. You, you yeah, that is impossible. Yeah. And it cool. is it is cool. I just wanted to mention that anyway. Uh, so yeah, I'm enjoying it still. Just so you know, we know. When I was in the States, I managed to get my hands on some field notes, some special ones that I was not able to get my hands on before. And they were the L.L. Bean uh, field notes. Let me just put in a little bit there. <laughs> you pointed at an L.L. Bean and I went <laughs> and you were like, oh, look, an L.L. Bean. And then I said, won't they sell field notes? And you went and bought the entire stock they had in. Yeah. That <laughs> was true. literally your face dropped. <laughs> as soon as you were like, oh, look, an L.L. Bean. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And it took me to prompt you and say, they will sell field notes. Yeah. And that was it. You were like a, uh, <laughs> like you got a cent. You were all over it. <laughs> yeah. I spent, I think just over a hundred dollars on field notes in that shop. And they were like, are these for gifts? And I was like, only half of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only because they, they, you would have probably gone higher if uh, they'd sold more, but you cleaned them out good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I think uh, you know past past you would have probably bought those on eBay for a lot of money. Yes, I, yeah. I would have paid that price for one pack. So that, that's that's the extent of what I would have done. But uh, that's the extent these, of your addiction. <laughs> these specific ones, um, you could only get in the states. It seemed I couldn't get a pack outside of the states. So when no, I was they, yeah, they don't they don't let you um they don't let you purchase them outside. Yeah. So when I was uh when I was in the states and I found an LB and I was like. Holy crap! Like, do you think they'll do you think they'll have? Well, as Jordan has explained, as he made me aware that they this may potentially be a thing, we trekked back from a Target to uh, the shop, and yeah, bought the entire stack. So I bought the. I personally have two different packs here. Uh, I was only able to get one uh, of the older packs, so I kept that. Sorry, Jules. But I did give you a. It's the, pack. it's the newer. It's the newer pack that you have. The extra one. Oh, is it? Yes. So the the ones with the camo in front of the older pack. Yeah. Ah. Well, I was only able to get one of the newer ones then, and I, I kept that. <laughs> but I did give Julian a pack of the the previous 
You didn't buy me a pack. Uh, I did ask, and you said, no, I'll just have one of yours. And I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> that sounds like something I would say, yeah. John, uh, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but I do have a pack of, uh, of field notes that you can have. Uh, we'll talk about this edition <laughs> in a minute. So don't worry, don't worry. You'll have some stuff. So I'm actually using uh, the green field notes right now. Yeah, it's it's green with the card. the uh, The field notes logo is just the um, the standard stock card color, and it's the rest of it's printed in green, which is a nice nice way around of doing it. It's different. Yeah, they're, they're interesting. I, I do quite like them. I haven't actually, in fact, the, the second pack I'll have to speak about later. Um, I, I think the green is probably one of the nicest ones, though. The, the green yeah middle. it's a good classic um field note style as well it's very traditional yeah. field notes yeah and you know you've got the, the little like hairy looking thing inside of the card that I, I always seem to like mm. but they are the, they're a good addition and um you know that they're, they're special because i wasn't i was not able to get them before so i wanted to give them a mention i don't really have anything specific to say about those ones any more than that unless you do jewels no but um we do have two other editions to talk about don't we yeah uh but i do have i just want to mention uh the the second the newer ll beam field notes first oh yeah okay these are absolutely gorgeous these things because yeah. the logos are uh uh it's not is it embossed when it's upwards i don't know yeah um anyway yeah I, I haven't seen them i don't know what they're like let me check the, the specification all right yeah it is embossed so the the logo is embossed so it's it's kind of sitting above the the front card and then it's got it's like kind of nice like stitching kind of look going across the front with some white staples mm. and they do look really really nice i think they do look way better than the uh the the previous years so i'll i'll, I'll yeah. put a link to the show notes in those but the, white white staples are always a good sign. I think if you if they've got yeah. white staples in them, there's, some of the Starbucks editions have got those white staples as well, and they're very nice. Mm. So these these are, feel like a very cleaner kind of pack than the previous years, because the the previous years came's kind of like more LL Beamy than uh, Beanie, sorry, than uh, these actually do. These feel very smart. Like you could use mm. these and not think you're even using an LL Beam field notes. Anyway, as you were you were leading to, we do have two packs that we got through the post the other day. We do, yeah. The latest, uh, the the winter edition uh, for this year, mm. yeah, and and something a little bit special as well. Yeah. So we, uh, if we, do you want to start with the the special? The well, the anniversary edition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I've got them. I've actually got them in front of me right now because they are gorgeous i haven't obviously i haven't used them yet um we have uh, a special anniversary pack which is for the subscribers and it includes three reproductions of course of classic field notes designs mm. from field notes history now um they did a they did a special for subscribers not too long ago where they included a butcher orange and a butcher blue and um they're again they're kind of reproductions of the original ones yeah but the original ones they're, they're really hard to get hold of they're really expensive and there's just there's no point like trying to get hold of them 
But by doing the, the the kind of reprints of them, it was a nice way of saying, "Hey, by the way, we know you're never going to get the original version of these, but here's a here's a commemorative reprint." Mm. Um, and in a similar kind of vein to that, they've gone beyond what official proper field notes as they were kind of sold as, as editions, and they've they've gone back to some of the original designs that um, uh, Aaron did, uh, and I think one of them is the the there's let me have a look. So there's um, uh, Aaron Draplin's first use of the name and logo. So a reproduction of the uh, the kind of the the original notebooks that Aaron made, um, and then the uh, first uh, a copy of the first handmade field notes, uh, and then the proper field notes brand's first test run. So it's reproductions from mm. notebooks from t- uh, 2002, 2005, and 2007. It is and pretty mad they're lovely. That's 2002. 2002 was 15 years ago. It's it crazy. Yeah, and so that one, that one is uh, it is a, is a reproduction of what uh, Aaron had back then, and I've only ever seen them in photos before, so it's nice to see. And the you know the, the square paper inside is so large, and I've um, I've seen many people like create their own notebooks yeah. by hand, and the, it is very very similar look to that. It's lovely, um, and it really kind of gives you an idea of what that was like when Aaron kind of first started making these things and he gave them out to um you know various friends of his he, he sent these out and then the red one is uh it's big says it says big D, uh, ddc logo on the front it says field notes on the back again absolutely lovely and this one's uh blank uh, again a reproduction of the original kind of handmade, handmade ones. ones yeah so there is literally there's a logo on the front there's a logo on the back nothing on the inside doesn't say who made them because usually the field notes say where and when it was printed. Mm. None of that. And they've kept that in the reproduction, which is really nice. And then the, the first proper field notes brand test run, which um, had, it, they've kept the paper exactly as it was. Again, they've got the field notes logo written at the top. Um, what I will do is uh, I'll take a photo of these and I'll put them onto Instagram and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll link to that as part of the, part of the show notes uh, i think they're they're lovely they're really nice and i will probably end up using them all um, i have a confession to make mm-hmm. with like these sorry with the previous uh reprints you know the ones with our names on i never opened those oh really oh they, i've used they, one they, even used though one they recently. have my my name on them because i'm uh we're a subscriber i i thought they were kind of special and i didn't want to use them just yet and these have more of a reason for me to not open them as well. They're, they're extremely special. And like, if I open them, the sticker that's on the, the, the front of the pack will probably go in the bin. Yeah. And then like, that's a nice touch. And it's a shame they didn't include that as a sticker. That would, that would yeah, be nice. exactly. And I, I do really want to open these, but I'm living right now with them in my hands, but <laughs> watching people on Instagram and that kind of thing show me what they actually have on them. Like I didn't know the red one actually had that white DDC logo on it. Yeah. Until I saw it's, something it's on Instagram and was like Damn, like where did that come from? Definitely gonna use that that I'm definitely gonna use that one. Alright. Um yeah. I just, I'm I'm upset because usually what I do is I, I keep one pack in, in the seal and I open one pack and explore it and I couldn't do that with this. 
So I'm, yeah, and the same with the commercial ones. So you've only got one one pack of them, so you kind of save them. I I have yeah. no doubt that you'll open them eventually. I'm sure. Yeah, okay. like uh, I probably will. But, but you're saving, time, it, and that's and that's fair because you're not going to use them right now anyway, right? No, I mean I, they all you're go in, using something. They all go on the shelf anyway. And by the way, that shelf has now uh, completely full, and <laughs> I now need to even make another shelf inside of that for just for field notes or work out another place to sort them. So it's first of all problems, I guess. So there is another edition that we also got in the same package, and this is one. And Jordan, don't worry, you, you'll get a cop, you'll get a, a pack of these because I actually bought some spares. I bought some spares, and this is also a really interesting and nice edition. It's it's not a normal feel notes because the insides are um, are not the normal kind of um, yeah squared or, or or dotted graph grid or anything like that. They are a lot more um, uh, kind of strict controlled of what they are. One is a, uh, well, two actually uh, of the three in the pack are uh, task lists or meant to be used as task lists. So they've got kind of a um, a kind of a screw head design on the left-hand side, which people can use in any way they want, whether they want to fill it in or cross it across, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, multiple lines for putting like a to-do list on. And then the other one is a um, a date book. And we have had that before with the Ambition Edition and people really liked it. Uh, yeah. And they do actually make a standard edition that has this, but it's not quite the same design. Uh, and this is undated, so you can use it any year. Yeah. So I bought, I bought some extra packs uh, of this. So um, it doesn't mean that they've got like 2018 written in them. You can use them any time. Just to point out, but this, those are it's one week per page as well. It's not like yes. a week over two pages or. Uh, oh you know, yeah, page, yeah, so. yeah. It is, a, which is different actually, because I think the ambition edition is. Um, is that a week across two pages? I can't remember now. Maybe, maybe it isn't. Maybe I imagine that. I can't exactly but remember. But they are one of the things that's super interesting about them is the is the ink, because it uses a grey paper, but it has a white print on some of the boxes so you get this really nice kind of effect where the some of the boxes are white and some of them are gray um it's a really nice um way to make the structure of the inside of the pages really kind of pop and both of them have that kind of look going on um it's really nice they're, yeah. they're great aren't they they smell great they, they smell really nice so it's kind of weird to say but they... <laughs> i think it's the ink yeah there's, yeah, there's something different about amazing. them Andrew's going to take a photo of these on his Instagram and we'll put yeah, it in the show notes. I will do that. Um, but I, I, so I saw these and I was instantly like, this is great because it's not just, and I like, I do really like every single film notes edition that comes out, no matter what they are, or at least, you know, give them the time of day. But these ones were like, this is different, but in a really, really nice way. And it was, you know, it was not just lined or gridded or, you know, plain, for example. It's, they've actually taken some really nice ways of printing stuff in there and, and preparing for a task list, which is actually something that people use field notes primarily for. Yeah, uh, a lot of people use them for that. And they're, they're such nice colors. And the, the red and white one reminds me of the, the day game. Uh, I might take a photo of them next to each other and upload yeah. them in the show notes. Yeah, so it's so it's a it's white card with um, the red uh, uh, text on top, and it is very similar because it's also it's like a foil print of yeah. ink. And the, those and day game um, editions are one of my favorites. They're gorgeous. 
I used one recently. Yeah, they're yeah. really nice. They are very nice. It's a good. It's a good. Um, a good color combo. Oh, you know, I just noticed. Hmm? I didn't know this. Uh, on the in the middle of the uh, the one I'm looking at, the blue one right now, which is a task uh-huh. list. In the middle on the staple day, it's a staple day. It does, yeah. Exclamation point! I've never noticed. It's a nice that. touch, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, there, people when they use these field notes, often people mention when they get to the staples. It's like it's a bit of fun, you know. Oh, staple day! I'm halfway through the book, um, and I think this this is actually the first time that we've actually seen uh, a book embrace the fact that it is staple <laughs> day. Um, it's obviously in the community that's a that's a thing. But this is the first time that we've actually seen it printed inside any of the books. Yeah, embrace the staple day. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a nice touch, and I think um, Jordan, you'll you'll like this edition as well. Both both of these uh, types. So you've got the one the one um, date book, and then two uh, of the of the uh, checklist um, books. And the, yeah. the edition's called the Resolution Edition because, of mm. course, it's winter. Um, winter editions are always great. They are. Um, they've done really well with winter editions in the past as well. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. yeah I'm definitely going to be buying some more of these when I get a chance. But when I saw these get sent around, as I was saying, I I was very happy about these, and when I received them, I was even more happy. So they're they're doing something great they're here. Really pretty. Yeah, they are. Do you have anything to say about these, Jordan? Well, I don't have a pack yet, <laughs> so it's kind <laughs> well, of hard. Well. It's hard oh, for that's me to say. Thing. I mean. I, I like the look of them. I that's why I, I came. I popped up in Slack, and I said, "Guys, I want one of these packs. Someone yeah. buy me one of these packs." And have you ever considered one of two things? One, buy some packs, or two, get a subscription. Um, I don't want to end up like you, Andrew, <laughs> absolutely caked in <laughs> field notes from head to toe, and it's just Jules is like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, we have talked about this before. I think John, you, you said that um, you've got you've already got a box, haven't you? Yeah. For, for field and notes, it's, and it's full. Yeah, and 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 it's maybe it's nowhere near as big as Andrew's collection. But then again, I don't really know anyone other well any other person that has a collection as big. <laughs> I as haven't Andrew's. counted them, by the way. I won't count. Well, them. you know, let's just say that I've got at least twenty five field notes minimum unused. Are we talking uh, packs or single notebooks? single notebook okay which is a lot of notebooks whereas you have something like 50 packs on you <laughs> so you know it's uh, and the fact of the matter is i'm probably not going to use the resolution for a long time i just like the look of them and, I, and, mm. and they look beautiful so like when am i ever going to use a date book right well, i don't know because uh, i'm going to ask you some questions in a minute about what you're going to do for your notebooks in 2018 so. yeah it won't be using the resolution date, no date book, that's for sure. But it's the same reason why, you know, Hop and Ichi have their, their little dated notebooks. They're, they're very similar. But they're and speaking cool. Of, speaking of dates, this edition actually came with a little piece of card that is the 2018 calendar on it, which I absolutely it loved. It's very cute. And I've actually put that yeah. in my uh, daily carry. So I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. So they, so usually they, they do tend to do those, but usually they're a slightly larger size and don't actually fit inside the uh, notebooks. So they do them every year. And I'm sure they'll do another 2018 calendar as well, a little uh, um, card one like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting this time that they made it and they even rounded the corners so they fit nicely into a field notes. So interesting choice. Nice little, nice little extra. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And leading on from that and talking about 2018, uh, I wanted to ask you guys what, what your plan is for uh, notebooking and your kind of daily carrier within 2018. If you've kind of planned out for anything like that yet or if you still need to look at um, it. I'm still undecided. I, I don't know if you want to take this first, Jules. Yeah, happy to do so. Um, so it probably isn't too exciting as to what I have to say. Yeah. But essentially, I'm going for a very similar setup to the setup that I had last year and the year before. So in 2016, I first got a... Um, Hobonichi Techo style notebook, which is the A6 um, uh, with the Tomoe River paper, absolutely gorgeous little system. And you get a day per page um, and the paper lets you use, um, you know, pen uh, uh, of all types in it. It's absolutely lovely. We we have discussed it on a, on a previous episode, which we'll link to in the show notes. So I won't go into too much detail here. But essentially, um, I want to do the same kind of thing again because I've done, I did this for 2017. The only kind of real difference here is that, um, I look back at some of the stuff I put in my 2016 notebook. Um, and, you know, I, I used some parts of the, notebook that I didn't use so much this year. And a couple of times I kind of thought, well, why haven't I done this? Cause actually I find it really useful. And one of those is that, um, they have like a, a monthly calendar view. And previously I had used that for like key dates in the year right. and I didn't use it so much this year. I, I started in January and I, there was a big gap and then I, you know, tried again later. For some reason I just wasn't, I didn't really do it. And I have, uh, really liked using that before. So I, I don't really know why that happened. And the other one is you get um, this kind of like list of all the days, just a one line for each day. And previously I had to use that for um, various kind of things that happen during the year that are, um, I'm trying to think of what natural or celestial in nature. So for example, when uh, there are eclipses, when there are uh, things like changes to, um, time like when we get to british summertime and things like that um those kind of like natural rhythm of the world type um things you know the the summer and winter equinox uh i used to put them all in there and i put them in in my 2016 um notebook i put them in for like because you get like the next year as well i put them in for like the 2016 and 2017 and for some reason i just never copied them across into my previous but so those pages just ended up not being used. Um, so I don't, I don't really know why that happened. And I think I want to make sure that I uh, do some of that stuff up front. Because that's what I did previously is that I was so excited about using the 2016 notebook that I, you know, I put a load of stuff in there. Stuff like those kind of dates that are the rhythm of the earth. Uh, those kinds of things. You, I already know the dates. I just need to put them in there. And I don't know why I didn't. It was a bit of a bit of a funny thing so i want to i want to improve that but other than that it's basically the hobonichi and whatever field notes that i'm using carried around 
yeah in the same the same case that i used uh uh last year and the year before mm-hmm. would you say you're really happy with that setup so you you don't feel the need to change that much um yeah i think i think i the the physical aspects of it uh the size of the notebook and the type of paper and everything else i i'm still really really happy with mm-hmm. um two two kind of things really one i i want to uh, I want to spend more time with it. This year has been a bit of a crazy year for me. Um, I've done a lot of stuff, but I feel like um, I haven't reflected on it as much as I usually do. And, um, you know, I think I would want to do that a bit more. And the other one is that I did really like how in my older uh, uh, kind of notebooks, like the the Moleskin, the kind of, um, it was, there was a week per page. I would be a bit more um, creative perhaps mm. with the way that I would keep track of things. And I, uh, mid part way through this year, I fell into just being reflective about my day. So I'd be like, today I did blah, 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 blah. And I would kind of yeah. write all this stuff out. And I didn't do that so much on the Moleskins. And um I look back at some of that stuff and I was like, I don't know how much value that actually gave me because sometimes I would skip pages because I didn't have much to say. I'm not really skipping, but I didn't put much in them. Mm-hmm. And it would just be like, I'm just putting stuff in here for the sake of journaling, but I wasn't really getting anything out of it. So I'm going to kind of go back to some of my older notebooks um, and I've got them going back um, to 2005 or something, 2006 mm-hmm. maybe. We're going back quite a way and some of the earlier ones were a bit more creative in what I did. And I think I'm going to take some of that and just bring some of that in as inspiration um, to kind of re revisit that way of doing things. So using crazy pens, using different colors, um, you know, doing, uh, doing uh, drawings, doodles rather than uh, trying to write stuff out. So that's, those are the kind of two things that I'm going to do uh, a little bit differently. But um, other than that, yes, I am really happy with the, uh, the physical system. What yeah. about, what about you? What are you going to do? Me? Yeah. Uh, I am actually still basically sticking to the same. I've got a Habanichi Techo English edition uh, ready for 2018. Um, I have plenty of fillers to still make my way through. <laughs> so I'll be continuing with those. Um, but again, like uh, just to talk about some a couple of things you mentioned there, is actually of interest to me. I don't really use any other pages in the Hobonichi apart from the daily kind of, um, you know, the daily pages basically, the main yeah. bulk of the actual notebook. And I use a page or two in the back of the dotted grid stuff to kind of put a grid of these specific tags that I use that I'll get onto in a minute, and. I the the why I mention this is because um I have kind of want to take the same great notebook that I love and I, like you mentioned I love the paper and the design of it and things like that and the size um but kind of rethink about using some of the other pages uh more especially mm. the the day calendar because it might be of use and um and mainly the the one thing i want to try and do is to rethink the way i do write every day because uh you know you can fall into the trap like you mentioned of just writing linearly about how your day went 
and you know what you did specifically and um yeah and that kind of happens because yeah. I, I write about things like oh what i ate in the day because i keep track of that stuff to be aware of it but i also because of that don't want to fall into the trap of just writing about what happened around the times or between when i was eating um and you know it's it's hard to keep up to date and and uh track of everything when you are busy and doing things so i need mm. to find a way to write in this and be happy with what i'm writing in it um but not be spending so much time in it because the other thing is when you're writing every day out you miss a day it does take a while to remember everything yeah and it feels fire out a couple of things you you feel like you feel like you you need to go back don't you You, yeah and and then then you're like so uh, but but it's it feels different writing to writing about the the current day versus going back and then filling in a couple of days. You feel like, um, Oh, I have to sit down with my notebook and go through this stuff. And I need to work yeah. out what I did because I, yeah. because I have to go and find the information. And that feels like a, in some ways it feels more like a chore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it rather does. Than, yeah, it does. And rather I, than getting the benefit of like, Oh, I'm writing something down now to you yeah, know, help me with exactly. the way that I am now. Exactly. And because I, I do keep track of my food and that is actually very important to me. So I'm glad I do that part of it. Mm-hmm. The other part is actually, like you're saying, I don't know what the value of that is. Apart from in the future, I could look back and say, on this date, what was I doing? And I could know exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but, but it's more planning, isn't it? It's more help, yeah. It helps you with the planning. Yeah. And maybe, uh, just throwing it out there, perhaps you could use one of the other sections to, because there's, there's the one that's got the one line per day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be good to just put what you eat on it, right? Yeah, um, that be bad rather idea. than rather than kind of writing it into the page per day. Maybe you could kind of transform the page per day to be more of a task list or something versus yeah. versus kind of putting that in the other areas. You know, there's lots you can do. So I'll be interested to find out what you decide because I think you've you've got to you want to spend some time. And I know I do this. I I do a little uh, end of year review, which mm-hmm. is actually just before the end of the year, when I get my notebook ready for the new, for the new year. Yep. And I haven't done that yet. That will yep. happen next month. Um, and uh, you know that that is. Uh, we'll, I think we'll chat about it then. Yeah, again for sure. Then. But um, yeah, yeah. It's something I, I, I've thought about. I I've previously like uh, halfway through this year, I was like, I've realized I've fallen into the trap again. So I started. I actually wrote out a bunch of questions and wrote them in the back of the, you know, the dotted grid pages. And again, like after doing that for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever, I fell back into the trap because I was busy and I couldn't keep up to having to reference those. But there'd be definitely something I do as well is every Sunday I actually fill out um, the next week, basically using my calendar and I draw a line on this certain, certain bit. And I add these little uh, letters to the top of the first kind of eight rows um yeah no columns sorry and uh you know that i use them for like that kind of thing so um Mm. another thing i do actually which is the second part to what i need to rethink this year is every um every kind of plan specific thing i have on a day i add a tag now for uh work stuff which um i use a green because it's kind of a brand color and I have things like an event or appointment, which is a larger but yellow one, and a pink, which is a key date, which may be a birthday, for example. And I have all these different colors, and they all kind of stick at the top. And there's a lot of them. There's an absolute mm-hmm. ton of them because it turns out it's been a crazy year. Um, and I do actually see value in that because it kind of 
gives me that organization and to see kind of what I'm doing in that day and what kind of categories I need to fit that day into. Um, because I've pre-planned it out and pre-filled it, I know exactly what I am doing on that day or, you know, what kind of areas I need to be in, what kind of mindset. Um, so I, I do actually find a lot of value doing that. The problem is, and something that I had a problem with this year is I kept running out of the green ones because it turns out I do a lot of work stuff and a lot of meetings, which I put in there. And uh, I needed to find replacements. So, um, Have you found a replacement? Uh, no, not yet. Absolutely so not yet. I'm gonna make a. I'm gonna make a little suggestion. Uh, I don't know if you like the idea, but if you uh, in various kind of stationery stores, you'll find these little dots, and they're they're small little circles. Oh yeah, and they're cheap. They're really really cheap. The little stickers. But those those ones they don't stick up so you wouldn't necessarily use them as like a bookmark but it sounds like if you've got so many of these things that may actually be um yeah. may not be uh the best thing to have if you have those kind of uh, bits sticking out the top like a bookmark mm-hmm. um maybe you could try something like that just throw it out there because they're very cheap you'd be able to get either a big stack of them on amazon or eBay. yeah exactly and if you just if you decide not to doesn't matter you've got some extra stickers that you could use for something else <laughs> yeah so that is but that people, is the main problem with these the currents i'm using is the hobonichi ones and the yeah, one they come they're from hard Japan to get hold of and two, yeah i used them from the previous year and had some left over carried over to this year and had absolutely none even though i bought a couple of packs and now they're out of stock and they won't be resold then the war yeah. essentially so i need to find something to replace these with yeah so we'll what we'll do is when we come to the end of the year we'll have a, another kind of catch up and we'll see what yeah you've, uh, that is actually a great it. option actually to find the right kind of colors and designs really i'll i'll hook you up i'll hook you up with some links <laughs> thanks so john can i i think uh i'm guessing that that you want to be digital for your calendar because you your calendar changes a lot doesn't it you you do a lot with your calendar yeah um so i don't know i think we might have discussed this in a previous episode but i used to use one of those moleskin weekly planners the hardback ones uh they were this was it a whole year or six months i can't remember he might have been a, a whole year yeah and i used that for well almost a whole year i think um and it worked it worked pretty well the problem was i didn't like moving things like having two separate diaries like having stuff that i've just happened to put in my written diary because i've been in a meeting without a laptop or a, or, a, or my phone or and then transferring that into a calendar and then forgetting and then you know having conflicting calendars yeah. and yeah yeah i think you have to be a special type of person <laughs> and not special in a bad way i mean like a, a kind of person like someone who's dedicated to their calendar who wants to do that and have two separate ones to actually go through and prune it and that takes time right that takes yeah, time to actually yeah, it does. to to sync up and so i've always loved the idea of of the hobonichi um i used i used one of those weekly planners that you you got me jewels which was a little, nice little notebook with kind of um the whole week across both pages it was a tiny little book and it was beautiful and it it was great but i still had the same problem um i just had a smaller book and less space to put all the stuff in <laughs> when yeah. i was writing stuff and i've now got to the point where i think i was showing andrew yesterday how my calendars progressed in the last 12 months like as a as a person my digital calendar and i opened up my outlook and 
we looked at 12 months ago and my calendar was majority, majority of the time it was empty, right? Yeah. And now every day I'm just fully booked up. Yeah. Right. From, from different things. And these things come in from different people who send me invites and, you know, it's easy for me to look at that and go, oh, there's no conflict except, right. I, I know where I need to be on this, t- this day. So that streamlines that whole work process mm. for me. Um, and you I, and you use this on your iPad as well, don't you? Yeah, and there's the other thing. So I've just literally been thinking about this because I, I said I, I haven't made up my mind yet, and I've got a lot of field notes for like notebooking, mm-hmm. and I've got various different types of notebooks and pens and pencils, and I'll always you know use them here and there. I'll definitely always use a field notes for when I just really want to write something down. Yeah. But the last uh, four weeks, especially, we've been we've been really pushing. Uh, at work in, in terms of designing some new stuff. Um, but quick fire, you know, we've, we've had not a lot of time to design some new, um, quite complicated or not complicated. I won't use the word complicated, complex systems. And I've actually been using my iPad Pro and Apple, Apple Pencil with Paper, the app. Oh, Paper. So nope, yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. And, 53. Yeah, that's the one. Paper 53. And hmm. having Having got to the point where right, I have my Surface Book, which has Outlook on it, and you know, to me, the Windows Outlook on on you know, like desktop version is the most comprehensive version of Outlook there is, which is a, yeah. which is a bit of a, which is a shame. It's same, a shame. Same but, for me. I agree yeah. completely. It, it's it's especially with the calendar, like it's so much easier to yeah. like copy something exactly. into multiple places. You just hold yeah. down Control and move it, and yeah. the other versions just don't do that kind of stuff. But, especially yeah. the stuff on on kind of the Apple iOS side, but I have an iPad pro now and I can do my notes and I can have my outlook calendar up and it works. And mm. when I'm on my surface book and I'm doing, you know, normal work and things pop in, I can organize it there. So I'm kind of making the decision, I think to continue with what I've been doing the last couple of months into next year and go fully digital Yeah, uh, as, as primary, uh, as like my primary way of working because, um, I, I bought an iPad Pro, you know, I think we discussed this a couple of, of episodes mm-hmm. back and the reason I bought it was so I could be kind of chilling out at home on my iPad reading stuff, but also part of it could be work, like do, dealing with my calendar without having to have the bulk, like a, it's not like the Surface Book is bulky, but is it's, you know, it's an inconvenience to have to open it up and if the battery's dead and it's just, you know, it's not as portable. So I can sit on the sofa and organize my calendar, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, having those multiple devices, we talked about this before, is, is really powerful. Yeah. So I might as well use my iPad to the full full potential that mm. I'm kind of using it to now, um, for sure. And I'm completely different to you guys in the sense that when you guys talk about notebooking, I only have a notebook. Maybe it's because my brain is consistent, like consistently thinking about designing stuff, but I never notebook about the like. Things the, that have happened during the day, yeah, and not not in a bad way, like We've not in a bad way. Yeah. yeah, it was gonna. My, one of my questions to you was actually going to be: Do you not ever feel the need or want or val- Do you see a value in retrospectively looking at a couple of days in, or you know, your past day, or kind of thinking about that stuff and keeping track of maybe not, you know, as an example, what you eat or you know what you say to someone, maybe if something, you know, that kind of stuff. Do you ever? I think this is a very deep subject um, and it kind of comes back to uh, NLP, which Jules has kind of been talking to us about a lot kind of outside of of, of this podcast. And 
I have an issue with the way I structure my day in the it's personally, right? And that is I don't eat. I eat breakfast at like six PM most of the time. And I just wake up and I, I I get up and I go to work and my whole day is centered around building stuff. You know, <laughs> running bits of of this and running bits of that. Yeah. So See you would be perfect if you were an AI. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure, sure. That, that's what you want—a human it's always, brain always in, in, a jar, in a jar. Um, and it's not healthy. It's make it's you know to be quite frank, it's making me ill. And me retrospectively actually looking back at my food and how I structure my day will one hundred percent benefit me, right? Yeah, but <laughs> at this point in time. My brain is not wired. It's not currently configured to even think about that. And I will have to take some serious investment. Or Yeah, I would have to take some serious time investment. Yeah, right. and you need to seek the the method that works for you. Exactly. And that's, so you need to do some discovery before you make a decision. And discovery takes time. Yes. Right? And I'm not saying that I'm this busy person and I've not got any time to look after my own health. That's not what I'm saying. Because I am making some small changes and you can't do, you you know, everyone here knows that you can't just make a drastic change and like and stick to it straight away. I mean, some people can, you know, it, some people are like that, but I'm definitely not one of these people that will try that mm-hmm. because I would just know it won't work for me. Um what I do know is that if I can make some slight adjustments at this point in time, then without having to think about it too much and then do my discovery phase when, you know, some people say, you know, you'll never, you'll never stop. It'll never be over, but there'll come a point soon where I can take some time to, to iron out that discovery phase. Mm -hmm. And it kind of all leads into this whole, um, you know, how you notebook, how you guys notebook and how I see it. Cause I think while we're very similar people, um, in lots of different ways, the way you guys deal with your notebooking is completely different to how I think about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's purely cause my, my brain is just thinking about, I use my notebooks to build things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You use them as like a, a sketchbook for designs, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Whereas we often tend to use them for like, uh, some kind of reflectiony stuff. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I do want to do that because you know, not in a bad way. I am quite jealous actually that you guys have got to a state that you can do that. You know, you could you've you've kind of found time, found a, a pattern and a, a rhythm to be able to kind of do that and stick to it. I'm really good at sticking to a rhythm, and that is my current rhythm, which is <laughs> yeah. And without sounding cliche because it's it's not it's not meant to my current rhythm is eat sleep business code repeat and without the eat (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize you put that first but it's probably more like sleep business code eat a little bit sleep repeat repeat. yeah yeah Yeah. and i do need to get out of that but i also know that there is a right and the wrong time to try mess around with a rhythm that's working Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, this is, you know, so. Yeah, I think this is something we could, we could, or I think we should talk about maybe in the next episode and definitely put on the list because there's a lot of stuff that goes into being, like, to just a lot of things I do, at least personally, to make sure I do certain things, for example, like eat, which includes things like my food plan 
And I, you know, I prepare stuff. Maybe I'll do something before I go for my walk one day to make sure that when I get back, I have this and that kind of stuff. So mm. there has to, well, basically the reason I mentioned this is because there has to be changes to be made or, you know, little things that you have to do. For sure. To, to uh, account for this stuff. I, I also think, though, it's really difficult. Um, you can't, you can't transpose something directly. Like, cause I totally oh, understand sure, that you, sure. you, you know, you have mm-hmm. your way of working tools as his, but it's weird. Yes. It's weird because we, you know, come back to this whole, we're very similar people, but actually our lives are very different, right? Mm. Very, very different. Yep. Um, you know, the way Jules lives and, and, and kind of his, um, you know, surroundings, whether it's personally and, and for work are completely different to yours, which are completely yep. different to mine. And, you know, within that whole, within that ecosystem that each individual ecosystem that we live in, like personal ecosystems, we have to try and work out what, what is best. And that not, that isn't necessarily for you personally, but it's also for the other people around you. For instance, you know, you have Jarvis and you live, you know, you live with Jarvis and he has his Mm -hmm. needs. I've got a dog too, but I also live with my, my girlfriend, you know, Jules has animals and you know, there's going to be changes around, um, you know, to personal circumstance, and it's 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 interesting because each one of your personalities, when it comes to notebooking and, and and rhythms, are built up around your routine, your daily routine, and what's mm-hmm. around that. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily just saying, well, I'm going to do a food plan, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. It's about the other people and the other things, animals, objects that are around you that will enable you to do that, or actually hinder hinder that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I think the key thing to think is you're going to hear a lot of like, I mean, me and Jordan, uh, sorry, me and Jules have spoken to you personally about this a lot in the past. And we've all spoken to each other actually about this kind of stuff. And it's taking each other's kind of little help and what worked for them and kind of transposing it to yourself, but yeah, not to your own stuff. direct transposition because that doesn't work. So it's, I, I think, you know, I think you're in, you're in good company, Jordan, you know, cause, uh, of course, you know, you've got some, you could, you'll get some ideas of what to do and, uh, you know, yeah, be good. But it, I, I guess this is, is kind of, it's a good, it's a good segue into our kind of next topic, I think really, which is, it's, it's kind of, it because of the way we are as a three, I think someone, someone on Twitter, is it what's Chris saying was asking if we could discuss what our top dev tools, tips and hacks would be. And Andrew's going to start off with this, but it's a similar thing with how we're talking about transposing personal stuff and how we, we have personal rhythm to even like something like the way you code or the way you, your development workflow is. Because I know for a fact that all three of us have mixed and matched different ways of working that haven't worked for each other or maybe have worked and we've like tweaked them and it's actually a very similar thing um your life is like your development tool chain and environment Ooh, deep if you've listened to the show for a couple of episodes now you know this is the point where i ask you to send us a question on twitter the next section in fact is one of those questions so tweet us them at mavis podcast on twitter if you'd like to find the show notes for today's episode you can go to mavispodcast.com slash 12 as Jordan uh, just mentioned, uh, we got a question on Twitter from at what's Chris saying, uh, Chris Greenhow, and he what asked, is he saying? He asked. Uh, well, he actually said, "Congratulations on ten episodes," which we should thank him for. So, thanks, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked. Uh, he asked what our top dev uh, developer tools, tips, and hacks would be, and it's an interesting question because. Um, 
I, I personally think that uh, a lot of the time I'm using a lot of standard kind of tools uh, just to get the job done. And, you know, you kind of think, like, I guess uh, it's project specific, you know, things that you're using to maybe compile things or uh, to develop in. Um, but there are, I guess, quite a few things that uh, I've written down here and you guys have written down as well that are quite interesting. So um, one of my uh, main tips would be to spend time setting up your environment really nicely. And what I mean specifically, specifically by this is um, kind of, you know, your your uh, styling of, um, you know, your code editors, your the tools that you've got around you in, in your specific code editor of choice, um, maybe a terminal, you know, command line app, and maybe some extensions that you've got within those to kind of make the experience kind of uh, speed it up a bit. You know, if you're doing quite common stuff, you can get those built in. And uh, this is something I did when I actually got the iMac is I actually sat down and refought my entire setup. Um, and I did this uh, in a way that they're now actually shared within a repository. So my MacBooks, uh, sorry, my MacBook and my iMac are actually synced. And uh, mm. I have the same experience on both. So I change uh, in one and uh, pull down and it's also on my Mac, which is which is sorted. It's just really nice. Um, the one thing I would say about this is that you would you, you should be reviewing this occasionally, but I yeah. you see people who get, I think, way too into this or if something new comes out and they see it on Twitter, they have to try it. And I think... That's great, and you should be trying things, but don't let it get in the way of actually getting work done and being too bothered about that kind of stuff because at the end of the day, it's all about getting work done. And if you can sit down and you get some time to review this kind of stuff, then do it. But don't be so into trying everything that it's getting in the way of work all the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's an interesting one as well because um, there are so many different tools out there and they... Some of them do tons of stuff where you can, like, you'd be able to do the same thing with 15 different applications and it's just personal preference, right? Yeah. Um, that's actually something quite recently, like last night that happened to me. Um, but I, I'll go into that a little bit, a little bit later. Yeah. Same, same thing. And, and Jordan has the same setup as, as me as well, where we have yeah, a scripts, a scripts folder yeah. in, for, cause we use Windows. It's, it's very similar to the, the, the setup that you have, Andrew. Mm-hmm. But, um, we put a scripts folder in our profile path and then we sync that through Git and, uh, just add it to our, our path and update our PowerShell profile to, to make sure that, you know, if you, if you want to use Vim or whatever tool that it is that you use or you find a tool that's useful, you add it to that. Yeah. And then it's just available. Uh, mm. and it's that building it over time. I think I- exactly what you've said there, Andrew, you don't want to spend, uh, too long reinventing it all the time. It's the same with notebooks. People do this all the time with notebooks. It's the love of just changing things out. Mm. But when you pick your notebook for the year or when you pick your text editor, you know, stick, stick with that because when it comes to actually doing work, you, you need to just know that one. Now, Mm. uh, one of the things that I, um, I had on this recently was that I wanted to convert some, uh, some, uh, some data in a spreadsheet into some JSON and it wasn't particularly large, but rather than just doing it, um, uh, manually or to just copy and paste it, which would take less time. I've decided to actually spend a little bit of time 
invested actually setting up a tool, a tool chain mm-hmm. that will let me just do this uh, multiple times. And I'm going to be using JQ, which is a command line app, and it has a, a lovely filter system that you can mm-hmm. write the filters. Looked at it, this was perfect, but it's going to take a little bit of time to learn. Yeah. And what I've decided in this case is I have the time to invest in setting up my environment so that I can just use JQ to convert these things and then learn how to do it and do it again in the future. And, but sometimes, you know, you've got to balance, you've got to be like, well, do I just have to do this now or shall I just learn to do it? And luckily for me, it was a case of, well, you know, I don't have to do this for Monday, got some time over the weekend. I will make sure that my environment is nicely set up Mm -hmm. uh, to, to do this. Um, and it's those kind of things. Yeah, and, and at the same yeah, time definitely. as well, you can end up changing things so much that you you have like a block into actually getting work done, which is yeah. why the progressive kind of way of doing it is is really helpful because you gradually end up with the environment you wanted, but you've learned it step by step. And it takes time to get. Whereas, there. Yeah. I mean, because so I've I've actually considered switching keyboard layouts before because um, I wanted a, a new keyboard because I suffered to, from irisite problems. Dvorak? Uh, something Dvorak? like that, D- Dvorak, Dvorak, yeah. which is an option. I mean, there's there's others as well, but a lot of mechanical keyboards that you know they say oh, we're, we're better for RSI, and I'm willing to give them a go. However, the learning transition of that would be so huge that I would have to be I would have to do that at a specific point in which I was ready to do it. Uh, so it's it's something you know. My point is sorry is that you can end up doing something so drastic or changing everything at once, which ends up just being a block on getting work done, which is the aim of the yeah. game. And I would, I would say one other thing here that, um, you know, some of this may seem obvious um, to some people, some of our listeners may just be like, well, yeah, of course. But we've also, I think all been in positions where we've been at a job or at an organization. When you see that developer who's maybe struggling a little bit, and you've told them about other tools that are available and things, but they haven't really taken it on. And you, you know, go over to help them with something on their machine and they've got the default Windows wallpaper, right? They've got the default theme for, for Visual Studio. They are not set up nicely. Maybe they have their external screen set up badly. Mm. And you just think, hey, you know, you're not working in an optimal way. And, you know, for some of us, as we listen to this, we'll be thinking, yeah, yeah, of course. But there's a lot of people out there who don't really do this in the development world. And, you know, it, I think it's equally just knowing what you, a situation that you don't want to be in. You don't want to be where you are struggling with your tools and your environment, um, which is why it's worth investing the time. And even if mm-hmm. you already do this and you think it's obvious, you know, that there are people out there who don't. Yeah, and and actually going back to something like how you were you were talking about J, JQ, right? Um, that's presumably an executable binary, right? Yeah, it is. Now this is the thing, right? With our scripts folder set up, the way we've got that work working is that's in a repository called our scripts repository. Inside there, we have a couple of other directories, things for the PowerShell scripts that we may import into a profile. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have something called, um, or I do, I, I do, I don't know if you've changed yours, Jules, but a tools directory. Right. And my PowerShell profile will put that tools directory um, inside um, my path on, yep. on boot. And I just drag any, you know, executables in there. Little tools, yeah. Yeah, yeah little tools. Yeah, and then as soon, 
they're in. I, you know, I don't care about pushing up binaries up to Git. You know, they're small little tools anyway. But then as soon as I load my PowerShell profile up, and now all I have to do is drag a binary in if I'm using Explorer or just, you know, W, if it, the equivalent of W get it if it's, you know, coming down from a, um, you know, the web. And then I've got it in my path. I don't have to worry about, all right, I need to add this directory, this bin directory to my path or anything like that. And that speeds up the whole process of like even creating your old, your own tools. So, you know, yeah. we, you, you, you just, you just, once, once I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm compiling it, I'm dragging it in there, or I've, I might even set the build direction, build output just to build it directly into my tools. If I, if yeah. I'm writing the, mm. um, you're setting up your tools to make it so that yeah. it's easy to set up more tools. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's actually really something really interesting. So, um, one thing that's, that's, it's like, really trying to change the way I develop and work around um, my machine is is Visual Studio Code, right? And within that, the... So writing F-sharp, I don't write as much F-sharp as, as Jules probably does, but we use F-sharp to script things against C-sharp, um, create little tools, um, even just interactively go through uh, data, right, that might be coming from... from any kind of data source. Um, obviously, you've got C Sharp Interactive as well now, but having FSI available in PowerShell and just being able to boot your profile, go F- FSI, use this script without having to go through Visual Studio or anything like that is a really like super useful, right? Mm-hmm. And then using Visual Studio Code as an editor, or even Vim, you know, I, I'm, I switch between VS Code and Vim quite often. Um, do I do different things with them? Mm-hmm. You know, Vim, I tend to edit. Um, quick fire files, yep. um, host files, like even just eh is edit host files or ep edit profile on my PowerShell, which actually came from Jules's. You know, Jules suggested this about five years ago to me. Um, yeah. One line that's to, to yeah. do things that you do commonly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the kind of stuff I would use Vim for. Whereas VS Code, I might open up my Power, um, like the PowerShell, but I open up an F sharp script, write a few bits, and then just run it. And I can just I can use two PowerShell windows if necessary, or I can even do that internally to Code now because Code has a beautiful terminal uh, like kind of built in which runs beautiful PowerShell. In mm-hmm. that automatically loads my default PowerShell script uh, profile script. So as soon as I load up the terminal in VS Code, I've got everything available. All my tools, my whole profile is there. I don't have to, you know, yeah. fiddle about with anything to make you know this specific terminal work as my other one would. And these kind of little, they're just small little things that mean that you, you don't have to repeat yourself or, you know, it, it, it's, it is, it is, as, as Joel says, something that might seem blazingly obvious, but the amount of time yeah. sinks that these tools setting them up can be, be like, is, is, it's, it's just, it's, it's insane. Yeah. This kind of goes on to my second point, which is, uh, saying it is a tip and kind of a hack or uh, hacks, I guess. Uh, automate things, right? And we, uh, you've you've both hit on it here. Is you create something to do a task that you need to do commonly, and you'll put it inside of your your environment so you can access it quickly. And this is something that I've done personally. So I've got some like a hacks folder, which is hax in or h or I actually call it hacks or. H-A-X-O-R. Anyway, uh, in my my workspace. um, And what I do there is I have different folders for different tools that I've created. And what I do is I'll I'll add an alias into my bash profile so that I can just trigger them by the command line. 
and I do things like, oh, so uh, I have a website and I need to see if it um, changes this, any of the source changes and it'll tell me when it changes. And or things like when I'm doing the show notes for this podcast, I have to be grabbing uh, the titles for links. And now what I could do is I could manually load up a link in the browser, go to view source and then find the title tag and copy it. Or I can write a tool which I pass it a URL and it copies the uh, title uh, you know the title of that page to my clipboard, and I paste it in. Which is just, just things like that. And one that I really value, that I really like of mine, is um, all my passwords are stored in one password, and I don't know them. And mm. banks often, for example, ask for, "Oh, can I have characters eight, nine, and 10 And they're like, "Oh, great! So what? I'm gonna have to go into one password, <laughs> so copy annoying. them into code, and then work out which characters and put numbers against them, then take those." Or what I've done is using a package on npm, which is what I, so I script these often in in Node because it's just easy for me to just do Node script or add them to my package. Basically, what it does is it asks me for a password, uh, which is uh, hidden, so you know it's not in my history. Uh, I paste it in there from one password because I can get passwords out quickly. I then enter a sequence of characters and it tells me them, and then I have them. So it's just little things like that and automating things that would be manual labor, essentially, on a computer um, to do very quickly. Um, And that's what you both kind of hit on there is just making these tools and making them quick and then having them to reuse. Generally speaking, when we talk about this, I think we all mean that these tools are generally going to be like two or three liners (laughs) in terms Mm. of tools. And I'm using that in quotes. It doesn't mean you shouldn't write like like huge tools and spend time investing in something that's going to be like super useful, but you have this, you have to be aware of those trade-offs between, right, I need to do something quickly and I could, I want to automate part of it, if not all of it. And that might be three or four lines or, or, you know, but then you have some certain things which you think actually this is like a quite multi-layered. So you might automate parts of it to start with and kind of keep chipping away at it as, as you do more of it. Because yeah. one one thing is like you don't know how often you might want to do it. You you might come across the same task again, and especially if it's a big task, you might automate a part of it and then chip away at it as you realize that you're using you're doing the same repetitive mm-hmm. task over and over again. So it's about kind of like working out what things you're going to be doing a lot and yeah. and kind of work versus effort. And it, to, to and kind of automate it. The key thing about this, if if you find yourself doing something and you have the time to create a tool, even if it's something that you do that is very small, even if it's the combination of running four different tools in in one command line uh, action, I guess you know one, one command uh, to kind of pass data between them, automate it, put it into a script, and the really cool thing is that it saves you cognitive energy because instead of going, how do I write this thing again, and you know which order do I need to put these in, or uh, you know I need to do this manually, you have a tool that you're now aware of in your command line or even an UI, if that's what you prefer, to just press a button or enter a command that does it for you. And it, the cognitive energy is saved there from mm, in the future. Yeah. And you, you just, it just does it, right? And you're done, you can move on, and it's being more efficient and quicker to do yeah. that. Two prime examples for me are with my Go my Go Lang build chain. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so we cross-target... Um, Basically, ARM devices, um, x86, but we obviously we then got Linux, Mac, and Windows because different developers do different things. Um, 
and the end device is kind of like an embedded Linux um, running on an ARM chipset. And what's obviously interesting is Go's great because if you if you've just got Go, it, you you can just kind of set a couple of environment variables. If it's just purely Go code, you can just say, well, set the 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 operating system goose. <laughs> I call it goose. G O O S. Set it to, to Linux and then set the architecture to you know x86 or whatever or AMD 64 or what, whatever um, it is. Yeah, ARM. Um, MIPS, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, you know, it starts off small where, you know, I just had a a few functions in a separate script, um, you know, PS1 file effectively that's loaded in my, my profile. I just go ARM, go Linux, go reset, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I don't have to kind of go right in set environment this, set environment that. Exactly. And that's but, actually a key but, example of what I do. So, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, go For compiling for ARM on my Mac, I have to mount a DMG and then set some, uh, in fact, five different variables, which one of which is Goose, GoArch, CGoEnabled, CC, and CXX. And if I was to do that every time, I'd be like, right, what are those values? And where is this file? Where is this DMG? And where's this compiler? And now I have well, one that- command in my bash profile that does it all for me. Yeah, that's that's exactly kind of the thing I was going to go on to is that we've now in that in that specific code base got quite a lot of uh, of code that that needs C go basically. So there's a lot of C that needs to be compiled. Uh, so it requires the right C compilers. Now, if you're on a Windows machine and you want to compile it for Windows, then you need the C compilers for Windows, right? And that's kind of default. That'll just work as long as GCC for, is in your in, is in your path. Oh, and lucky for me, it's in my path because I can just drag the binaries into my the binaries for the compiler into my tools directory. Done. Don't have to worry about like adding it to the path. You have the same problem with the ARM compilers, so you need to go find the ARM compilers initially. Which again, they're in my tools in my scripts folder. Um, they need to go into your bin, and then you need to say, well, okay, I want to compile for ARM and I also want to make sure that my compilers are set to the correct you know, my C++ compilers and my C compilers are set to the correct um, mm-hmm. compilers. And there are so many different types of C compilers out there for different types of architecture that you're going to have the same problem if you want to target, you know MIPS, not that we will ever target MIPS but, <laughs> you know, I mean like, these are the kind of things, so again um, it's just one of those things where why on that, Andrew, if you have to mount a DMG, DMG, why don't you just copy the DMG, all the contents of the DMG onto your actual machine? Surely the DMG is on his machine. It is, yeah, it but, is on my machine. Yeah, but why do, you mount, why do you mount, yeah, sorry, why do you have to buy bother mounting it? Why don't you just... That sounds like a nice way of doing it, actually. Well, yeah, but you, I wanna... you've, got to, you've got to mount it, I mean... Yeah, but then I have to put it somewhere, and it, it's easier. So I know where that file is, because it's in, it? my, mm-hmm. it's in my, it's in my, what I call MSS, which is Max Help Scripts folder, uh, which is that repo that I spoke about. And I just, it's it's just always in there. I know where it is in relative terms to that, to my bash profile, right? Which is also in that folder. True. And I so guess. I can just mount it and use it. Whereas, I mean, all that, all that is doing is saving one line. And not even a second time wise to mount it. So, and also it keeps yep. my, my computer clean and portable. Yeah, I like I like the sound of that. So my last kind of tip and tool would be to use version managers. And by the nature of being a software developer and working on projects over time and making new projects, and you you end up using 
you know, you have one version which uses the latest at the time, and a year down the line, that you have a new project that uses the new latest at the time, which is not the same version. And using things like NVM, which is Node Version Manager, and GVM, which is Go Version Manager, uh, is really, really helpful for simply switching out versions when you have multiple projects using different versions. I don't know how I lived without NVM. When I first started using Node, I didn't use it. And it's not built into the kind of standard installer for Node. So the NVM version for Unix is different to the version for Windows anyway. But um, I went out and found it and suddenly it's like, oh, this, this is so much better. Because now when I'm working on this particular project that has this particular tool chain with this particular version of Node, I can just do a one-liner yep. that that goes to that directory, uses NVM to set to that particular version, and then spin up, uh, you know, a, a watch task or something like that, or load Visual Studio Code, then spin up a watch task or whatever it is that I need for that particular environment. And then I know that it's not knackering other versions mm, that exactly. are perhaps older or something. And I, I don't know how, I don't, I actually don't know how I survived without NVM beforehand. I think with Node in particular, it's one of those ones where, uh, it changes um, often enough that that is super important. Especially recently after they, they, they have taken it up on themselves to keep pushing versions and they are drastically different now. Mm-hmm. So it does really yeah. help. And Go version manager, especially with when you're using certain tools that are built for previous versions or for example, well, in fact, the, the prime example is to compile Go 1.5 plus, you need Go 1.4. Because Go 1.4 is the last version that is written on, well, sorry, is compiling on the C compilers. Anything after that compiles in Go. So you have to have Go 1.4 installed. So it's much, much easier just to install, do a GVM, you know, install GVM, GVM install Go 1.4, and then do whatever after that, and you're fine. So, yeah, I do really like using version managers. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to see more more of them really because mm-hmm. you know uh, I uh, I had a, an interesting issue recently where my MS build was using the wrong version and in the end I kind of fixed it with some PowerShell aliases because I actually had both versions installed but it was a bit of a, a bit of a pain because it wasn't using the right one and there is no official tool to say oh use this particular version yeah um, but you know they they are actually they are actually sorting some of that stuff out with the new .NET CLI but. Uh, I was just using MS build, um, you know, straight, but I think it's, it's, it's those kind of things that are super useful for developer productivity. And a lot of, a lot of these tips here are get your environment nice, but at the same time, get it so that it's portable. And if that means, you know, scripting the installation of NVM, mm-hmm. it means that future you can just script the installation of NVM and not script the installation of node. Yeah. So you don't need to you don't need to worry about getting all these particular versions for all these things that you need. You just need to worry about getting NVM and then work from there. Yeah, making it easier to get onto those versions is yeah, it's definitely wise. Yeah. We've talked about tools and talked about little hacks here, but actually I think it's not I don't think and this is I think something you're gonna say, Jules, um more in depth. Hacking tools together is great. But hacking the way you think about writing software and writing code and writing tools is probably the biggest hack of all and the, the biggest thing to yeah the, the most productive no no that's not the right phrase but the the best way to increase productivity and yes. on that note I will let you take that one well I, I you know I was um when we discussed like what kind of uh, tips and tools and hacks and things that we had um 
I I thought a bit about um, one of the kind of things that I learned early on, and I thought I'd just uh, I'd just mention it is that um, I I kind of read a book called Co Complete. I, I I kind of heard about this beforehand, but I read a book called Co Complete. Kind of- that's kind of like a book that needs to be in your books of books. If you know, yeah. I don't read that many books, but as a book goes, that's the book of books. And I remember there was one part of it that changed the way that I thought about software development. And again, this is one of those things where I'm sure it's incredibly obvious to people who already think this way, but perhaps isn't to a lot of people out there. And, you know, towards the back end of the book, it's got stuff about, um, you know, how, uh, you know, per- personal kind of attitude and how you approach these things. And, you know, fundamentally, if you're the kind of person that's looking for tips, you, you're probably already there, but it's just being kind of open to ideas um, and having that kind of intellectual honesty to know that you're not, um, you know, uh, humans are limited in, in their understanding. And when it comes to software development, sometimes you'll be more rusty on some things and uh, less on the other kind of learning those universal truths about software in general will help you uh, across a wide range and having that right kind of attitude to software development because often you know we are especially when you're you know more junior kind of developer you, you you're just kind of chucked into stuff and you just like go off and do this thing and how you do it is up to you and that's where that kind of you know personal uh, choices about how you approach software development come in and i think that's that's definitely something that's you know something that we think about um so i thought it was kind of worth uh yeah, mentioning sure. that um another one is the fact that um <laughs> again it's 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 incredibly obvious for the people who know this software is about people right the compilers don't care they, they're not interested they just they, they just know that it's that it's compiled so what you're doing is you're building stuff for other human beings. And that means that, you know, thinking about how software is, is used. And I don't think just, I don't think you mean when you say other human beings as the end, end user of the code, like an application, you're talking about other developers, other people that are going to come and come back to this code, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 I think it's, uh, it's all, all of this is kind of like, uh, down to one thing really, which is just how you approach software development and kind of knowing what your audience is. And yes, there's end, the end users, the people who are using software and kind of the ethics about what you're building. If you're building something that kind of, um, you know, is designed to kill people, then, uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Right. <laughs> Instead, you should be making, um, and the, the way, the word that I always kind of remember, I think it was, I heard Bill Gates say it, um, many years ago when I first started getting into software was this whole idea of software magic and that software can do things that other ideas we have, uh, other kind of concepts we have as humans just can't do. We're, we're, we're building these imaginary castles. We're building things that don't really exist. And you want to build these things to make it so that people have a better life mm-hmm. and that sound may may sound ridiculously grand but that means make sure if someone presses tab it goes to the next field right yeah. if you're designing a ui think about what you're doing make it inclusive make it so that someone who's colorblind can use it because there's people who are using it and the other side of that is people are other people are looking at your code too 
right? So write your code in a way that other people can understand it, uh, even if that other person is you. And this is something that I, um, I've talked to you guys a lot about is the, the, uh, the whole idea of an, of the other developer, mm-hmm. even if the other developer is you, right? The other developer is you who is tired or drunk or hungover or, uh, you know, f- different you, future yeah. you. Um, and by always kind of writing systems for that other developer, not just for you, um, I think you beat your, you get further that way. And that would be kind of my tip around that. I I know that I think we've all seen this as well. Like developers who write what is technically very impressive code, mm-hmm. it's hard to understand. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, the the compiler doesn't care really how fancy you write your code. Write it so that other human beings can understand it. Mm-hmm first uh, totally and that's 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 also like sometimes you you can't get around writing something complex complete i want to there's a difference between complex and complicated and i'm trying to choose my words carefully here but sometimes you can't get around having to to bit shift something for performance purposes and some people see that as you know they look at it and they they squint right Uh, or even some fancy reflection on dot net or you know some fancy link and and most of the time people can understand this, but the that's uh, that's optimizing your code and you should optimize your code um, at, at intervals where it makes sense to do so. So that's not to say performance shouldn't be a top priority. It absolutely should be. Mm-hmm. But if you've got the, the, the chance of writing something ridiculously complex that people look at and go, I have no idea what this code is doing for an extra 10 milliseconds versus some very straightforward code that people will come back to and go, well, actually we can all optimize this and we can all understand what it's doing. Then it's probably worth having a think about, well, actually other people need to be able to understand this. And that's, I think the biggest thing that we do when we code review our, our code um, with, with other engineers is the majority of stuff that I pick up on. Yes. There are some certain times it's technically incorrect, but the majority of the time it's like, please just change the way, you know, invert this if statement, right? Yep, for sure. Because you, you, co- you know, the flow of this, this, this method just is going to be hard to follow. Naming things, um, thinking about what your methods do, like uh, how they behave with like other state as part of an object or something like that, mm-hmm. using kind of functional object oriented uh, best practices in a way that when someone reads it, they go, huh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, you're using inheritance and other things in the system in a way that makes people go, ah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is how I implement, uh, you know, a, uh, some particular type of class. It's nice and easy. It's not difficult because at the end of the day, whatever's compiled into IL or, you know, binary, um, the computer's fine with it. Mm. It doesn't care. And I think, I think there's something to be said for in your personal time or, you know, as, as like testing examples to try and push the limits of the language and see what you can do and, you know, move around with stuff. Cause I know it. So in JavaScript specifically, there's a lot of stuff you can do with chaining things and, and, uh, mutations in, in kind of a functional programming, uh, manner that is super impressive. And you can, you know, especially with, with the addition of like arrow functions and all that kind of stuff. I, I know this is, stuff that's already existed before and but it was amazing because it it took a massive upkeep where all these people are trying to push out these 
lines of you know i guess what you could put on one single line because it's one statement now um and i think it's great to to try that stuff and push it out and um try and sorry push yourself to to understand what's actually going on there and why you can do that but at the same time when it comes to other developers looking at this and you in the future remembering what the hell's going on there you're going to struggle so break it down and you know uh yeah just just break it down and and simplify it because otherwise you're gonna mess yourself over really you're gonna screw yourself over but out of all out of all this like for me it's it's difficult because you can get so caught up i I mean when i'm going to between phases right now where i spend two weeks where i've just not written any code now i come back and i think am i still can i still develop can i can i still engineer software and you doubt that sometimes because you feel a bit not rusty that's the wrong word but you kind of just think to myself Jules used a phrase, but it's like, am I still good at what I do? Is basically the same phrase. I actually said, uh, am I elite? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, you, you, you doubt yourself, but you take a step back and you yeah. come back into it. But the thing is, with all these tools and tips and tricks and, and however you want to work, working code at the end of the day is better than yeah. really, really good code that doesn't work yeah Yeah. exactly and that's shipping code making stuff that works i would much rather take a hack that works over a bug that falls over and again this is where you just make sure that it's clear whatever the the thing is that you're doing just be clear and take advantage of that intellectual honesty is to say well i cannot fix this thing right now but i know that this does it Therefore, I'm going to write a single line comment that just helps whoever, myself, future developer, understand mm-hmm. what's going on. But ship, definitely ship. You know, don't spend ages building something that is technically brilliant and, you know, does all bit shifting and single line um, uh, bits of code. They're making your own IL stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and then don't ship. You got, you got to ship. You got to ship. I think there's other other elements as well as certain people think things like test-driven development is the way to go and uh, hardcore TDDers. And I find that certain, when people go, yeah, we use TDD and that's the way we should, we should just TDD all the things. I kind of find that it's very dangerous to have this one opinion that, that suits everything, that you, you're going to go into every project with that same opinion. Because... I think taking bits of different processes and taking the best bits for a certain situation is, is, is the, is the way to go, right? Like test driven development is great, but you end up with a ton of tests and use cases and potentially you can't ship something that works, right? I've seen, I've seen that happen before. Me, me too. A ton of tests and no code. Exactly. And while that might not, people might say, well, obviously you're doing TDD wrong. Well, that's not, it's not necessarily about an individual person. It's about how a team reacts to taking on board something that maybe they've misinterpreted. So the goal to ship code and maybe take elements of TDD, that doesn't necessarily mean that your your, your code base should be fully unit tested and with 100% coverage because that might be the case, but you might not actually have a product that you're shipping, right? Yeah. You might have all your code is unit tested and you've got 100% coverage. That doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't going to be bugs in there. So if you if you're working towards this agile methodology, and I don't mean... Scrum and 
a man and and the way you you do sprints. You mean, you mean agile with a lowercase a? Yeah, I'm talking about like you want to work agility. In agile. Yeah, you want to work with agility. Then you have to take the best bits and go right. Actually, I'm going to write something where all my code depends. All this code here for the storage layer depends on there being an attribute on it. And if there's no attribute, then some, my code's going to crash, right? Uh, when it runs. So you go, well, actually, the way to safeguard that is writing a unit test to go through all the code that may have this interface that assumes it'll have this attribute and fail if it detects any that don't have any, right? Yeah. That is a good way of using this agility to go, right, I'm going to use a unit test. I have other unit tests for you know input-output of functions, but actually I can safeguard against certain things um, at compile time and, and test time without having to worry so much. And I won't say to any developer that you should have 100% code coverage of your product at all times because I don't think it's reasonable to be able to, to do that all, at all times. And that falls into the category of technical debt, right? And going back to what we've just, we've just talked about, when you write code for the other developer, when you write code that is, is easy to read and easy to understand, that makes it easier to refactor, Right? And that's how you reduce technical debt by putting a little bit of technical, you know, putting a little bit of technical debt in, knowing that it's easy to refactor, knowing that any developer in the team can understand this with ease and can come in and refactor it and get rid of that technical debt within, you know, one sprint or whatever you want, whatever, whatever kind of um, process that you run by. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the reverse of that is it's, it's no one can understand this code. It's one engineer that, that's done this superstar engineer that likes to be like, um, you know, superstar and yeah. likes, likes to use, yeah, likes to use a lot of, uh, so one example I saw recently was likes to use a lot of inheritance and base classes to re reduce duplicate logic yet. It's completely misunderstanding the point and basically creating something overly complicated for the sake of it. Which means really the, difficult to untangle. Yeah, exactly. Untangle. Exactly. Yeah. So you've come in, tried to refactor it. There's technical debt in there. It's probably causing a performance issue or you need to change something. No one understands what it does and you can't refactor it. So that technical debt stays in there for a long time. Yeah. Trying or, to be too clever exactly. in the first place. So with that in mind, right, that's a, that's kind of, I guess, my biggest takeaway is is being able to maintain your code and reduce mm. technical debt and building, all the building things. code that's adaptive can be yeah. tested, but can be built up on building it in a way that you can, you know, refactor, rebuild it for the future. Build it for the future. Totally. Totally. I have one last point to add. Um, if you are a JavaScript developer, use TypeScript, just use it. And I'm not going to explain why, but it's amazing and it'll save your ass a couple of times. So use it and then you can use get back script. to me of why. Use Visual Studio Code. You'll just understand why <laughs> uh, you should use yeah. it because it's amazing. Don't use it for your personal scripts. Smash those out. Just get them out there. You know, they're only personal anyway and you can be careful. You can protect yourself if you want to or not in there. But production applications, use TypeScript. You'll understand why after using it and use it till it's exact, like its fullest list examples. Thanks for listening to episode 12 of the Mavis Podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode by going to mavispodcast.com slash 12. Tweet us your questions at Mavis Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Andrew Hathaway. You can find Julian on Twitter at Julian Kay. And Jordan is at Jordan is on fire.